0: story night began in the first year of Scum of the Earth. And I'm almost embarrassed to tell you that it wasn't a spiritual decision on my part based on reading 1 Corinthians 14 that actually pushed us into a story night for the very first time. But rather, um, I was pretty much the only preacher at Scum in those days, and I needed a break. (laughs) And so I thought, you know, it'd be really, really good to have other people get up and just tell their testimonies, their spiritual stories, uh, their journeys with Jesus. And it was so awesome and powerful, even from the very first time we did it, that I determined right then it was become a regular occurrence. And so we've done story night or story time uh, every year, usually at least two to three times every year, if not more. And consistently it has been the most powerful thing that we do. And the reason I think that it is the most powerful thing that we do is because the Holy Spirit dwells upon God's people. And because 1 Corinthians 14 really does mean something, in that when you come to church, everyone should be prepared to talk about what God has done. Bring an encouraging word. The hope is, is that as people tell their stories, that it becomes a catalyst for other people's spiritual lives. That if you're having a difficult time following Jesus, or if you're having a wonderful time following Jesus, it will be uh, food for the journey. So I am really excited to invite our first storyteller up. Uh, her name is Izzy Turner. She comes from Cambridge, England, where she is uh, involved in studies at Ridley Hall, part of uh, Cambridge University. Uh, Ridley is a theological college. It's where I spend a lot of time on my sabbatical. And Mary and I got to know her. Um, Those of you who have met her, I know, really appreciate her. But she's got a marvelous story to tell. So without any further ado, Izzy Turner.
1: Uh, As I said this morning, I always like to hold a microphone when I'm speaking because it's like a protection barrier between, like, me and you guys, and it makes me feel safe. So it's totally psychological, and clearly it's not going to offer me much, but here we go. Uh, Okay. Hopefully it's still here. Lovely. Um, Well, first of all, it's such a privilege to be here, uh, like, hanging out with all you guys and um, to be able to share my story with you. Um, I... uh, just, I'm loving spending time here. I've been here for two weeks now and I've got a, uh, a week and a half left. Um, and I'm learning so much from people and loving hanging out with everyone. So I know you guys had no choice in having me here, but thank you anyway. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Um, so a little bit about me and uh, I guess a good place to start is right at the beginning. Um, with when I was young. Um, Some of you might say I still am, but um, this was quite a few years ago. And um, I grew up going to church. I was brought up in a Christian family. Uh, Me and my two brothers were required to go to church uh, every Sunday until we were about 10 or 11 or so, and then it was basically left down to us to make our own decision. And um, so I went every Sunday, and um, if I could describe church in my childhood in three words, it would probably be boring, irrelevant, and. Waste of time, that's too many words, but um, that'll do. And uh, So when I was 11, I beelined for the door as quickly as I could and stayed in bed on a Sunday morning, which was much more fulfilling and uh, much more enjoying. It was much more fun, sorry. So, um, so, yeah, basically my early life started with, um, you could say, a God influence. um, But actually, uh, I didn't really let any of that in. I wasn't interested and um, I very much switched off when I was at church. Um, So the first 20 years of my life were rather godless, and um, I had some glorious highs and uh, and some really uh, dark lows as well. Um, I had a lot of fun. I partied hard. I lived life to the full. Um, Anyone who knows me knows I try and pack in like 25 hours worth of stuff into a 24-hour day. Um, And that's just the way I am. Um, So life was full and fun and um, had a great start to high school and um, then fell in with the wrong crowd and uh, didn't have a great time towards the end, uh, was pulled out of that school, um, essentially like asked to leave before you get expelled sort of situation, Um, which is nice because it means it doesn't go on your record, which is great. Um, But people do ask you why you left your school in the middle of your exam period, um, to which I've often made up an answer, and sometimes told the truth. Um, So I left school, I was quite ill through the last, sorry, I moved to a new school, I finished school, um, and I um, was quite ill through the last couple of years of school, so I decided that rather than go to university straight after school, I would take a break. Um, I don't know how popular gap years are here, but they're very popular back home. So I deferred my university place for a year, and decided to spend a year working, and earning some money, and. Just enjoying not studying because I'm not really a fan of school. Um, so in that year I worked as a tennis coach, I nannied, I did a bunch of different stuff and had a great time. And the year, end of the year came around and it was time to go to university and I thought, I still don't really want to go to university. I realized I was only going so I could say I had a degree at the end and actually I didn't really care if I had a degree or not. So I decided I would never go to university. Um, which is kind of funny, because the reason I'm standing here is because I'm at university. Um, God had other ideas. So uh, shortly after this year, I, um, I realized I had no direction in my life, had no idea where I was going. So I decided to take some time out and go and travel and hang out with my family, um, who live in Vancouver, very nice place in the world. And... Um, and Oh, I forgot this this morning as well. I forget this every time. But just before I went to Vancouver, um, my friend, very good friend of mine, Sarah, asked me to be godmum to her oldest child, um, which was great. And I was totally up for that. I don't know how it is here, but in England, lots of people get their, their kids baptised because they, that's the thing to do, and it's a good thing to do, and it shows you're a good family. Um, so plenty of my friends are godparents and don't believe in God. Um, and actually don't have any care for God whatsoever, but are committed to loving this kid and um, hanging out with them as they grow up, which I totally was. So I said, yeah, I'd love to. Um, Little did I know that she actually had a sense from God that she should ask me to be a a godparent to her child as an evangelistic thing. Um, I'm glad she didn't tell me that, because then I absolutely would have said no. So I go to North America. I have a great time. I come back, um, and... um, I'm struggling to find a job. I've realized that what I'd really like to do is work in events, but it's very hard to get into events if you have no experience. It's very hard to get some experience if you can't get into events. Um, So I was wrestling with this and um, getting quite frustrated by it. And um, my mum and dad had just started a company, and they were employing someone who was the wife of the curate at church. Now, when you train to be a vicar in England, or a pastor, as you guys call it, or that pastor... There we go. Um, you. There we go. That was for you, right there. Um, and uh, your, your first three years of working is like a, a training role, and you're called a curate. So the curate's wife was working for my parents, and uh, Mum said to me one day, "You know, you're you're really not doing anything useful with your time. What, Steve and Rachel are going to Russia in a few weeks' time um, on this trip. Why don't you go with them?" And I was like, "Well, firstly, I have no interest in going to Russia. Secondly," They're Christians, and I hate God. And thirdly, I don't even know them, so so why would I go with them? And to this day, I have no idea why, but I somehow ended up going on this trip. Um, under the false pretenses that it was one of these great trips where you, you know, do some good manual labor and help some people out who, you know, who aren't able to help themselves out and do some good deeds and come back feeling like a better person, which I had done a couple of those trips, and I was well up for that. So off I went. Little did I know that it was an overtly Christian mission trip, Um, a detail they'd chosen to leave out in the, the lead up to it. So I remember sitting every morning, reading the Bible with these people, and praying, Lord, if you are real, please make this go quicker because I am so bored. Um, he didn't really answer that prayer at the time, but, um, anyway, um, we, we even led a, an alpha course it was translated into Russian, and I wasn't even a Christian. It was just bizarre. Anyway, I did actually get to do a little bit of manual labor, which I was excited about, until I realized that what we were there to do was to build a sewage system for the first toilet that had just been put in the village. And I literally was standing knee-deep in shit, (laughs) digging this trench. It brings a whole new meaning to the the phrase, in the shitter. Um, So anyway, I, I remember in this trip... Um, the woman who showed us around and who um, took us to all these different projects that she was involved in it was called Vera an amazing woman and I remember seeing something in her that I loved she was so positive in the face of such adversity and she just kept going and going and going and at that point I didn't recognize that what kept her going was Jesus but I did recognize that something kept her going and that was pretty cool and I'd quite like that um, But that was as far as it went on that trip. And I came home and uh, continued with my life. I got a job, which was great. And um, my friend... Who had asked me to be godparent to her child, had also asked another girl who was a similar age to me, a couple of years younger. And in the process of both hanging out with our godson, we became quite good friends. And um, we were spending a lot of time together. She was great. She was fun. She was beautiful. She was cool. We partied hard together. Um, we had a great time. Um, but she also loved Jesus and went to church on a Sunday. And that was something that really challenged me and something I hadn't come across before. The concept of like cool and Christian in the same person, like didn't exist in my head. So I remember being intrigued by that, but again, not interested. Um, she would invite me to church every Sunday and every sa- uh, sorry, every Saturday night, she'd invite me to church. Usually when we were hammered at about two o'clock in the morning, she said, do you want to go to church tomorrow morning? I'd be like, I'm not even going to be awake in the morning. Like it's two o'clock and I'm, I'm drunk. Like I have no plans to be awake tomorrow morning. And, um, And so I wouldn't go. And she kept asking me and asking me and asking me. And because I respected and loved her, and partly because I wanted her to shut up, I said, okay, I'll come with you. Um, I then realized the errors of my ways when I realized that what I had said yes to was a conference for young people which was all weekend. So I, I realized I could have said yes to a Sunday, like two hours in church, get it over and done with, be out. I'd actually said yes to like 15 hours in church on one weekend. Anyway. I uh, took a deep breath, and along I went. Um, And I remember being totally blown away uh, when I walked into this church. Firstly, it was a warehouse, rather than a boring, old, traditional, funky building, which I now can appreciate, but didn't appreciate then. Um, Secondly, the people actually looked like they were having fun. Like, when I went to church as a kid, everyone sat there like this. Mainly because it was quite boring, and I felt the same as them. Um, But these people actually had smiles on their faces and looked like they were having a good time. And they were super friendly, and the music was great, and um, some of you might know the guy who spoke at that conference. His name is Jay Pathak, and he leads a church down the road. Um, And he spoke so perfectly into my life, it was unreal. I often had to look around the room and be like, is anyone else here? Because I feel like just him and I are having a conversation in my front room. But thankfully, there were other people in the room. Um, And that weekend, I gave my life to Jesus. And um, he broke down loads of barriers um, that I had put up to protect myself and loads of walls around my heart. And it was a powerful weekend and really great. And I think the difference was, it was the first time I had heard that Jesus came to earth for me. Like, it's amazing that he came to the earth for the whole earth. But it was the first time it had become personal and had become about me and him on a one-to-one basis. It was the first time I'd heard that Jesus knows my name. And I was excited by that and uh, and grabbed a hold of that and and said, yeah, I want this in my life. Um, But life didn't just go um, like on a nice little journey of Christianity after that. I am, by the way, I'm sorry, I'm talking for two, I'm talking longer than I said, okay. so after I became a Christian my life actually got worse believe it or not um and uh, I mean I'd had a bit of fun as a teenager but never really done anything too crazy and um, I became friends with these two girls Joe and Lisa who are amazing and I'm still friends with them to this day and I actually just spent a week with them in Chicago before I came here which was amazing um but they they were really into some not great stuff they had cocaine habits and were both alcoholics, um, and they were my first introduction to church. And I thought, if this is what church is all about, like I am, I am up for this. This sounds great. Like my first memories of church were going to help run the youth group on a Friday night, and then going and getting hammered afterwards, and then like rolling out of bed sometime during the weekend, you know, going home, getting changed, and going to church on Sunday. You know, it was it was one big party, and and I think what. I don't think God desired for me to, to develop like, unhealthy drug and alcohol issues as a result of becoming a Christian. But I do think he desired to see good stuff come out of mess. And I think he used Joe and Lisa in an incredible way to reach me. Um, because at that point in my life, if a polished Christian lovely person from the church down the road had come and tried to tell me about Jesus, I probably would have told them to sod off. But because... Joe and Lisa loved Jesus and were very open and honest about that, but they also were very open and honest about the fact that they were a mess and they had some not great habits that they had in their lives and and that wasn't good, but they were were working out what it meant to love Jesus and to have themselves change. And it was real and it was gritty and and it grabbed me. And and I think that's probably the reason that I'm standing here today. Um, So they were a, a really great thing in my life, and they thankfully now have much cleaner lives, and we all journey with God together, which is really fun. So my faith has been fun, it's been fast, it's been crazy, it's been an adventure, um, and it's been challenging, but it's been an amazing journey, and it's been a quick journey. Five years after becoming a Christian, I started exploring a possible call to ordain ministry in the Church of England. I know it's crazy, but um, I'm doing it, and uh, and and now I'm at college studying to be a vicar. I mean, that's crazy. I I find it crazy to say, Uh, and, and God has just done some amazing stuff in me over the last few years, and I'm so excited about being able to share the message of a Jesus who was the king of the party, and lived a crazy, crazy life. And I'm so excited about being able to spend my life going out and sharing that with other people. And where does that lead me now? Right now I live on a what we call a council estate, what you guys would call section 8 housing or the projects. And I, man, I love it. I mean, it couldn't be further from what I grew up in. My parents are incredibly wealthy. We lived a very privileged childhood. I had a great loads of great experiences as a kid, and I'm very blessed. But Um, Now I feel way more at home on my council estate, and I just love it. It's so amazing to share God's love with people that have never been loved before in their lives and don't even know what love looks like or what it is. And it also takes me into prison. I'm a prison chaplain, and I work with young offenders, so boys who are 15 to 21. And again, it's so amazing. I, I basically mentor the lads that are too dangerous to go to church, And we have a lot of fun together. Um, And it's also incredible to see them letting someone in for the first time, trusting someone and going on a journey with them of seeing them make much better, much healthier choices in their lives as a result of getting to know uh, the king and getting to know Jesus and seeing their lives transformed. So I would say to you, if you're sitting here today thinking, this is crazy, what am I doing here? I was in that seat one day. And I felt that way one day. If you're bored of me, I was there too. And I'm really sorry. Um, But I would encourage you that through the rest of the evening, be open to what God might be wanting to say to you this evening. And, uh, And living in God's will for your life is a super exciting place to be. I'd highly recommend it.
0: met Heidi Schoberg, oh, a few years ago now. And uh, it was weird. Uh, It was weird because she she actually wasn't afraid of me. She actually wanted to meet with me. uh, And so we met. And I remember the first time we were meeting was at a Starbucks. And she was complaining because she didn't have a job. And um, I knew. And I said, so what have you done? And so she Nick had some coffee experience, and so I said, well, I think they're hiring at my favorite coffee shop down by the University of Denver, uh, where my daughter works. Uh, let's just go there, and you can get an application. And so we drove from Starbucks to Kaladi Coffee, and uh, next thing I knew, she was working alongside of my daughter. And um, anyway, she doesn't do that anymore. Uh, She's got a pretty exciting job. I don't know if she'll talk about it. You can ask her about it later. Something she can't tell you about because it's confidential. But um, I just really like her. And I've been asking her for over a year if she would come and give her story. So Heidi Schoberg, come on up. (laughs)
2: So, okay, I'm just going to start out by praying. Um, Father God, I thank you so much for tonight, God. I thank you for every single person who is in here, Lord. Um, I'm just so excited that they're here. And God, I thank you for this time to just fellowship with each other and to worship you, Lord. And um, I ask that you just speak through me tonight, Lord. And we love you so much. In your name, Amen. All right, so, yeah, so Story Night has always been one of my favorite nights at SCOM. I always get super excited because I get to sit in my little chair, be comfortable, and listen to all of you people be vulnerable, and that is amazing, and I love it. Um, and I've always thought that those people were so cool and so brave, had a ton of insight, and I was like, oh, I never wanna be one of them, ever. So Mike's right, he asked me about a year ago to do it, and I was like, oh, I'm not ready. Definitely not ready, Mm-mm. nope. So then he asked me again, and I was like, huh, huh, crap, like, I thought he had forgotten. Like, that was why I told him I wasn't ready, so that he would forget. Um, But he doesn't forget, and he's a very persistent person. Um, And I figured, you know, I'm never going to be ready, so I might as well do it. So here's my story. Um, I grew up on a farm in northern Minnesota, and... um, Obviously, you know, farms, you don't make a whole lot of money. So we lived in a pretty extreme poverty. Um, One of my parents was abusive, and he was also diagnosed with bipolar. Well, okay, I diagnosed him with bipolar. I don't really know, but I'm a therapist, so I can do that. Um, (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) so pretty much my entire childhood, I was just like, oh my gosh, like, just get me out of here, like. I just, I can't wait until I can move out. And I would like sit in our back hay fields and I would see these hills off in the distance and I would be like, I just wanna get there. Like I need to leave. Um, So the day that I moved out, I was 17 years old and it was probably one of the best days of my life. Um, Now I had grown up in like a Christian household, even though I guess it doesn't seem like it was a Christian household, it still was. Um, My faith didn't really start growing or being integrated into my life until I moved out and I went to college and I found some really solid Christian friends, and um, I was able to do whatever I wanted and basically be free to be myself, so I just started to grow and flourish, and I made a promise to God that I would follow him anywhere he wanted me to go, regardless of what he told me I needed to do, Um, as long as he would take care of me and provide for me. Um, So I basically just, you know, I call it, like, jumping off the cliff. So I, like, jumped off the cliff and to follow him and began this, like, beautiful, intense journey of just being with God. And my life was so good, and I was just growing so much. And so when it came time to graduate from college, I ended up moving to Denver, Colorado to do AmeriCorps for a year. Um, And while I was doing this volunteer experience, somebody recommended to me that after AmeriCorps, I do another volunteer experience, except this time do it abroad, and it was through a Christian organization, so it was very um, faith-based, I guess. So um, I decided to do that, and you get placed in, I don't even know how many countries, there's like 20 different countries that you could technically get placed at, and I got placed at England. And if any of you guys know me, like. I'm not the person to go to a first world country. I'm always like, give me a third world country, give me the trenches, give me extreme poverty. So I was like, seriously, England? Like, I do not wanna go there. Like, that's the last place on earth that I wanna go. But God was like, go. And so it was like down to the deadline where I had to completely commit to going to England where I was just like, fine, I'll do it. Oh, this is the worst experience ever. Um. So I agreed to go Um, and now I guess I know that I had to go there because it brought my faith and experience of God to a whole new level, but that's hindsight. Um, So England was, it was difficult, but it was also pretty awesome. Um, I didn't have any friends there for a really long time, but that being the case, like my relationship with God grew so much and he became my best friend. And I ended up actually yearning to spend time with him every second of the day, and most of the time I didn't even want to hang out with people after I made friends, because I just wanted to be with God. Um, But overall, I made some great friends, I had some solid adventures, and I got to travel to a degree I never anticipated. Um, So I just felt like my life was so incredible there, Um, until I had a couple months left of living there, Um, and I ended up getting raped. Um, it completely just like it wrecked me. Um, I kept thinking, I'm like, if God was supposed to protect me, then like, why the fuck would he let this happen? So I feel like I lost myself and I lost my vision and I just, I blamed myself completely for it. Um, I was pretty broken and you know, you get into this mindset that like you're worthless, you're dirty, you're soiled, like you're entirely repulsive. Um, so I hated myself and I basically shut everyone out. Um, so this was, you know, near the end of my year, and I kept telling myself, I'm like, I just have to make it through the next couple months. And then I'll deal with this, like, emotional chaos when I get back to the United States, and then life will be okay. Um, I had these, like, really bad nightmares every single night about, like, demons trying to chase me and, like, possess me and attacking me from, like, every single angle. Um, it was It was just a weird time. Like, I would wake up, and I would sense this, like, presence in the room with me. But then I would like pray, and then I would start speaking out like, okay, I belong to Jesus, I belong to Jesus. And then like the presence would would leave. So I don't know, it was just kind of a weird experience. Um, And I was really conflicted. I was in this battle between like running to God for comfort and support, and then just giving him the middle finger. Um, So when I left England, I thought that I had actually like healed and gotten to the point of running towards God. But I, little did I know this was just the beginning. So I came back to the United States, and I moved to Denver. Um, and I thought that all my problems would be solved because I was here with my friends and my family. Um, but when I first moved back to Denver, I didn't really have a place to live, so I was couch surfing. I didn't have a job, like Mike said. That's when I emailed him. Um, and I also didn't have health insurance. So it was a couple of days after I moved back to Denver, I had my first grand mal seizure. And then $80,000 later, since I don't have health insurance at this time, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, And I kind of went into this, like, state of panic, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm dying, or I'm going to need brain surgery. Um, So I kind of, like, put the whole rape situation to the back of my my mind because I didn't want to deal with it because I thought it was dying. Uh, So I lived my life, like, I only had a couple months left, and I literally clung to God like nobody's business because... Like, I was so scared, and I didn't really feel like I could talk to anybody about what exactly I was going through, um, just because I didn't want anyone to know that I was actually affected by it, which is stupid. Like, who wouldn't be affected if you have a brain tumor, you know? Um, so I was in this state of mind for about six months, and then I got a pretty good job uh, that came with health insurance, and it was confirmed that I didn't need brain surgery. Like, thank God. So. Um, The tumor was benign, so, like, everything was fine in that department, and then I was like, ugh, crap, like, now I still have to deal with the fact that I was raped. Um, So then, at this point, I was just like, I became pissed. Like, I was angry. And I basically told God to go fuck himself. And I turned to sex, drugs, and a whole lot of alcohol just to numb myself out. Um, I didn't really want to feel, and I didn't care. And I pretty much just wanted to die. Um, I didn't have, like I didn't want to be a part of anything and I just felt like super empty and basically soulless. Um, And even though like I had really, really good friends, like I didn't want to talk to anybody about it because that would mean that I would have to face my greatest fear of my like self-hatred and my worthlessness. And It would also mean that I would have to admit that something was wrong. And like sometimes I can be a kind of prideful person and I'm also not a vulnerable person. Pals can tell you that for sure. Um, And so I just, I didn't want to talk about it. And I didn't know if anybody would care or if anybody would really understand. Um, So I don't recommend doing that. That's not a very good option. Um, But I was kind of living this like double life of pretending that, you know, Everything was good with my group of friends and my family and then I would go out with like these other people that I had latched onto, and it was just not a good situation. Um, I guess what I hadn't learned yet is that God has a lot of grace to give to everybody and even though sometimes we don't feel like it like he's so merciful. Um, So after about four months of the whole like fuck God stage in my life, I realized that I just really needed help and I started to talk to people a little bit about what I was going through. And I knew I had to get my act together because it was getting to a pretty scary point and I was definitely losing myself. Um, so in an act of desperation, I grabbed my Bible and like kind of dusted off all the dust that I collected over the past couple months. And um, I just like opened it up and it fell on this verse. It says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. Do not be afraid. For I myself will help you. And I was like, Whoa. Well, seriously, like God will help me. Like he's going to take a hold of my right hand. Like I don't have to be afraid. Um, with everything, you know, it doesn't say just like one thing. It says like, just don't be afraid. Um, so I was absolutely petrified. Um, but I started to reach out more to God and to more positive people for help. And I quit the whole, like, Life that I was living, and I started to take more baby steps towards God again, and it was really, really scary. Um, Especially when I told Mike, Sarah about everything that was going on, Um, because you know who tells your pastor that you have been sleeping around? That's not not a fun thing. But I had gotten to this point of desperation because I was having these really intense nightmares every single night about getting raped and about demons attacking me and trying to kill me, and I just felt like I was blinded by this whole world of darkness that was completely suffocating me. Um, So Mike, being the guy that he is, he swooped in and he scheduled a prayer session with him and Larry, and during the session, like, I experienced God like never before. Um, I could actually feel him, like, moving in my body and just removing all the gunk that I had built up. Um, It was a crazy experience if you guys want to hear more i'll share more at some point just not right now Um, But I finally felt set free from my past like all of it and even from my childhood and I've never been happier than when I finally like opened myself up to experiencing god's love mercy and forgiveness And It was just such a time of miraculous healing. So I'm, just gonna leave you guys with my favorite bible verse. It's been my favorite of my entire life pretty much. Um It's from Lamentations 3. It says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, even when you feel like the world is just crashing down around you, God is always faithful, and he is so incredibly merciful. And my challenge to you guys is just to be vulnerable and open with your brokenness, because you're not going to heal if you're not. Um, So I would just encourage you that whatever you're going through in your life, just to be open and just let God heal you. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Heidi, for your vulnerability. Do you guys ever get the impression with Story of Night, it's like taking a teacup and trying to get like a drink of water from Old Faithful That's just... That's kind of what it's like. Um, I've asked Melissa Mouton to come and to share uh, part of her spiritual journey as well. Um, Melissa has uh, been around SCUM for quite some time, and uh, for years, and then t- took a break and went to one of my very, very best friends' churches, Celebration Community Church for um, a few years, and uh, has recently, I guess in the past year or so, uh, come back to SCUM and made it her home again, which, if you know me, makes me extremely joyful, uh, even though I love Celebration Community Church and I adore Steve Garcia. It's great to have uh, Melissa back on a regular basis, so I asked her if she would share some of her story today. So, Melissa, come on up.
3: Thanks. Um, yeah, it is kind of weird to be back, but as Mike said, I left about five years ago, so I figured I'd just start there. <laughs> um, five years ago, I was in medical school. I was just starting medical school, and I thought at the time things were too busy for me to go to church, so I stopped coming here. started to go to celebration, like you said, which I love still to this day. Um, but Essentially, in medical school, all I was doing was studying all the time. And what I did at the same time I was studying would be to drink a beer or a glass of wine. I mean, it just kind of went. They're like hand in hand for me. And um, so that continued for a while. And I didn't realize, but somehow insidiously, I just started drinking more and more and more and more. And... um, turned around, and I was drinking all the time. Um, I was a full-blown alcoholic and didn't even know it. Um, I know I was a... I can't even remember a lot of what happened back there, but I was a complete jerk. You can ask Emily. She lived with me. Um, And while she didn't really get to see the alcoholism, um, I think she can attest to, as most people in my life could, that I just wasn't a great person. I wasn't happy. I wasn't loving. I wasn't... um, Anything and yet I would I call myself a Christian. I thought I knew God. I thought I was filled with the Holy Spirit Um, and I just wasn't Um, and anyways long story short I Drinking and studying doesn't doesn't really work all the time (laughs) So I needed to I I thought I have ADHD That's why I can't concentrate. So I, I got a prescription for Adderall It helps your brain, you know, work better. So started taking that, immediately started abusing it. I learned that I could drink, and then whenever I needed to actually focus on something, I could just take a bunch of Adderall. It kind of snaps you back. So um, it worked really well. That went on for about another year or two. And um, it just got to the point where I was drinking more and more and more taking more and more Adderall, and it stopped working. And um, I felt like there was nothing in my life that was working. School wasn't working. Relationships weren't working. Um, I couldn't really figure it out, but I felt like I was on this downward spiral, and I had no idea what it was. I just, like, I honestly was that much in denial. I remember sometime about halfway through medical school, I started realizing that I, st- I would have this, like, tremor. And I was like, oh, my God. Like this, It's this well-known phenomenon when you're in medical school that you start to think you have all these diseases. There's a name for it. I, I don't know what it is. But like I was like, I, w- I would do hours of research, like intermittent tremor, young woman. Like, it was like this crazy, like I was trying to figure it out, and I'm sure that alcohol withdrawal was on the list, but I was so oblivious to the fact that that was it that I'm sure I just crossed it out. I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, but I it got to the point where... I just needed more and more and more. I didn't know but I was never satisfied. I didn't know that I needed, um, I needed more God in my life. I had, I just had no clue. I was literally masking all of my feelings with drugs and alcohol, with Adderall and alcohol. And, um, um, I got into some promiscuous relationships. I was an impulsive spender. I was an erratic driver. One time I, I had a I did a month of, uh, I did a month-long rotation out at Stanford in California, and on the way out there, I was like, "Oh, let me just stop in Vegas." Blew all my money for the month, like right that night in Vegas, and I had never had a gambling problem before. I was like, "What is this?" I, I literally was oblivious. I had no idea that that was a problem. I just thought like I just had bad luck or whatever, and I should have had more control or whatever. I had to borrow money to get to California. In California, the last night there, went out, lost all my credit cards, my license my everything I don't know where they went but I lost them and so then the d- the next day I was supposed to drive back to Denver well I'd already I'd already ballooned through my checking account on my way to California I had now lost my credit card so I couldn't get back home I was like oh my gosh I just thought like I that's how my life felt it felt totally out of control I felt like I ju- nothing was working right nothing was adding up and yet I didn't even think that I had a problem. Um, let me see what else here. Somehow, my fourth year of medical school, I had a knee surgery and immediately got hooked on the pain meds that I had um, and started experimenting with that. And somehow serendipitously, I found out that if you take amphetamines at the same time as you take opiates, something magical happens in your brain. And I got immediately hooked. Um, It was like a pharmaceutical speedball. And Well, it took me years to descend into alcoholism. With the first hit of that, I was hooked. And my life turned into not leaving the house, just getting high all day long. Um, I failed the class I was in, I dropped the next one, I ran out of money, I cashed in my retirement, I took out another $20,000 of loans. It was called, uh, because I was preparing to go to residency, it was called a uh, residency transition loan. So I was like, oh, this is great. 20 extra thousand, like all this stuff. (laughs) And I literally, could not see that this was an issue. But, because I was in medicine, um, and I was transitioning into residency, and I didn't have enough credits now to graduate because I had failed and dropped these courses, because I couldn't, I literally couldn't get out of the house. I was just, I was trapped with addiction. Um, They take that pretty seriously, with doctors, evidently. And so, (laughs) (laughs) um, failed my first rehab, I went to, they were giving me drug tests. The first one they had me take, I failed, and they sent me to rehab. Um, there was not much gray area. And that was, I was still in medical school, I was supposed to graduate, and um, I was in rehab. And I was like, dang, that's when it first dawned on me, like, am I an alcoholic? Am I a drug addict? Like, what is going on with me? I don't—I I really didn't know. And um, that's when I started to, you know, everything came crashing down. I couldn't I couldn't lie to myself anymore. There was no more denial. It was actually like, yeah, something is wrong here. It's not normal for somebody to be in rehab um, and not be able to leave. And Steve, my other pastor at the time, suggested that while I was in rehab, I should just read a psalm a day. So I did, and I started with Psalm 1 and just read one every day pretty much. And that's when God started to speak to me. Um, I wrote down just a couple of the things – That really hit me. I felt like every day it was something different, and um, God just spoke to me. I mean, even though I was going through the Psalms in like a progression, God, it's like he picked out every Psalm just for me that day based on what I was thinking about. Um, For example, one of the ones was in Psalm 5, it was, I lay out the pieces of my life on your altar and watch for fire to descend. And that's truly what I was doing. I was just trying to lay everything out and say, man, what is going on? And God was there with me, speaking to me. Um, another section is God's a safe house for the battered, a sanctuary during bad times. The moment you arrive, you relax. You're never sorry, you're not. And I really felt like that. Like, even though I was going through a really tough time, God was always there. And, you know, it's really hard to put into words the power of addiction over your life and how it just keeps you down is this impossible, irresistible force that I cannot overcome. I I cannot tell myself not to get high or not to drink. It's like I cannot do, I I don't have the power to do that. And yet God has the power to keep me from that. And um, because I was a physician or going to be a physician, they, I had to go to rehab for like three months. And at the time I thought, this is horrible. This is Bullshit. I was so mad like it was horrible, but now I realize like that's what I needed. I needed that time to be separated From everything and slowly over time. I thought well, maybe I can do this um, It it's just it's hard to really describe and I've forgotten a lot about those early days, but it just was this impossible task to To think about I'm never gonna get higher never gonna drink again, and it actually didn't become even a hope for me until I was a year sober, which was like six months ago. And I remember waking up on that day and laying in bed and like, I saw the sun shining through the, the window. And so I knew it was, I knew it was like the really, really the day. And I was like, I I was too afraid to even move without praying to God and saying, God, thank you so much. And just recommitting my life to him because making it a year, I, it, it seemed so impossible, and yet when that sun came up, I knew it was a year to the day, and I just knew that God had done that, and God can do anything. And since then, I mean, it's hard to really—I mean, I could go on and on and on. And I've probably already talked for ten minutes, but you know, God is there for me. For our, he, he has done so so many things for me. I'll just try to maybe say a couple of them. Um, once I was sitting here at SCUM, probably about six months ago, or seven months ago, or five months ago, and. Just the urge to use was so strong that I got up and left, went downtown to go meet some friends of mine I knew who could hook me up. And I saw them across the street. Started crossing the street. My phone rings. I'm like, this is weird. Pick it up. And it's the one person who, she's called my sponsor in Addiction Recovery. It's the person who kind of helps you uh, overcome your addiction. And she never calls. She's kind of an old-timer-like kind of strict, and her rule is, I'm never going to call you, you have to call me. So that's, it's kind of like, I have to prove that I really want to be sober, so I have to call her, you know, it's, it's this weird thing. So she had never called me before, and it was her. And I was like, well, I better pick this up. And she was like, you know, God just told me that I needed to call you. And I was crossing the street over. I was like, oh my gosh. And to this day, she's never called me again. Like, that's just, like... <laughs> it's just how God works. Um, God speaks to me when I'm, you know, literally when I'm in points of desperation, which is kind of a lot, that's the time when God speaks to me. And all I have to do is ask. And he's there. Um, He spoke one night through Mike. I told him about this. I was sitting here at church and he was giving the sermon about something ridiculous. And then, (laughs) I mean, it was great, but I was like, whatever. And then he just stopped and was like, okay, I don't know what, I don't know what this is, but I just got to say it. And it was totally off topic. And I was like, and it was totally speaking to me because I decided, oh, I know how I'm gonna beat this addiction. I'm gonna go have a bunch of sex. And it works. I'd done it before. It works. But I had decided that night to do it. And that's exactly what he said. What came out of his mouth was something like that. And I was like, dang, God is speaking to me. So it <laughs> it was crazy. Um what else? Like I I um, you know, I could go on and on about it, but the point is I I'm at the point now where I've chosen not to be a doctor I'm on a different path and it's It's a path that it's a hard path, but I know that's what God wants me to do and it's still frustrating and I have a new job where Every day at the end of this job. It's I started like two weeks ago every day I want to get high and I'm like, why do I want to get high I have so much times is crazy and it just I think God just wants me to remember to focus on him and Um, some people, once they get clean and sober, they never have the urge to drink or use drugs again. I'm not one of those people, at least not yet. And I think it's because I'm such a prideful person. God wants that in my life to, to remind me to focus on him. Um, and so that's where I'm at today. The the cool thing is that I've learned through the past year and a half, how, how to seek God so that I don't have to get high, how to survive. Um, you know when I was first getting clean and sober it it's hard to explain how hard it is but you just feel like you're going to die. And now I can get want to get high but I don't feel like I'm going to die. All I have to do is seek God and then he removes it from me. So it's it's if I could go back 2 years from now and not go through all this I don't know that I would because I would still be living this life of that mediocre life not focused on God and because of the addiction I I cannot survive if I take my eyes off of him, I have to keep focused on him or I start to crave drugs and alcohol. And it's, it's shit. It's a shitty feeling when all you want to do is get high and you can't, because if you do, you know, your life is going to go down the tubes. You can't stop. I can't just do it once. So it's, it's kind of a blessing in disguise where I'm always focused in on God. Um, at least I try to be, I have to be, it's like this force. Um, so it's, it's a blessing. I don't know. I, I don't really have a conclusion to this story. I guess that brings me to today. Um, I'm, if anybody out there is struggling with addiction and you want to talk, please talk to me because there's, there's hope. And I, I know how hopeless it can feel, but there is hope. So that's it.
0: Just so you know, uh, story time this morning took a similar turn and, um, I have a strong hunch that there's going to be a recovery group beginning at SCUM sometime in the near future. So, just so you know, if you're struggling with uh, addictions, um, there'll be people around to encourage you as you try to remain faithful. So that's, I can't say when, but I'm telling you that's probably going to be happening very soon. Um, Yeah, like I said, bringing a teacup to Old Faithful. That's what it's like. Daniel Bartels has been around scum for a long time. And uh, he's lived an amazing life. I'm sure he will not get into near even part of it today, but uh, he's decided to make a public declaration of his faith in Christ. What I'd like to do right now is to read you a bit from Jesus' final words on this earth. After he had arisen from the dead. This is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This line always kills me. Jesus has done everything that he had done in life, healing the sick, raising the dead, teaching people about the kingdom of God. Then he gets tortured and dies himself on a cross. Three days later is a resurrected from the dead. Now he's appearing to them before he ascends into heaven bodily, but some are still doubting. You want to say, what is wrong with these people? And then you realize, wait a minute. We do that all the time. We're just like them. And that's the background for the story. That's the background for all the stories that you've heard tonight. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. No more encouraging words have ever been spoken. Around this command to go and make disciples teaching them all about Jesus and what He's commanded and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what we're doing tonight is just that. Baptism is an external sign of an inward reality. It's an external sign of an inward reality. Sure, You can get baptized and not care a fig about Jesus. But if you get baptized because it's an outward symbol of an inward reality, then God is pleased because you're being obedient. So Daniel, where are you? Come on. We're going to dunk him in a... Few minutes, but first, I'm going to have him share a little bit about what's brought him to this point. So, Daniel?
4: Hi. Um, came to Scum about three years ago and uh, was going to another church. And uh, the counts, council had a meeting on an issue that's kind of a hot topic today. And the council made a decision uh, that didn't seem favorable with the word. And so uh, I asked Mike if I could come here, and he was nice enough to let me. Um, My story goes back, 71, I was born. Uh, I was born and raised in a church. A church had a school that was uh, affiliated. Uh, We had church 13 times a week. Um, Seems a bit much, but it's true. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, uh, went to a private school where Monday through Friday they had a full-on church service, half hour of singing, about 45-minute lecture, followed by an altar call. So, <clears throat> And then on the nights that uh, there was in church, we had family devotions, and that was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I'm from the trailer park and uh, grew up a uh, modest uh, income. Uh, my mom left when I was four. Um, my dad remarried when I was about 11 that had challenges in and of itself, um, which I won't go into detail now, but, uh, at the age of 17, I was, um, ushered out of home. And, um, at the age of 14, um, I was going through such crisis because of things that I was subjected to that I was on my knees before God in an altar call telling him to go F himself. (laughs) And I always have to pause because God is great and I believe that he is real. If you don't know if he's real or not, just look at yourself and pinch yourself and say, why can I feel this pain? Why are you here? 17, I uh, left home and uh, started hitchhiking around, traveled from sea to shining sea by thumb, uh, stayed in a lot of shelters, uh, relied on a lot of generic, I'm sorry, uh, generosity from people. Uh, while I was going nowhere very fast, I decided to come to Denver to see a football game. Um, got here in 89, uh, started going to Urban Peak. For any of you that are familiar with Urban Peak, I'm one of the faces of Urban Peak. Uh, I uh, was Youth of the Month, I believe, November of 1992. Um, uh, I've even been in the uh, sandwich line that John had out behind the uh, Basilica of the Immaculate Conception. So. Um you know, and in my travels and what I do, you know doing my own thing, a lot of depression, a lot of boredom, a lot of nothing and um you know i I it's been on my knees in prayer that God has come to me um uh, I, I I was just doing jobs here and there, and I got on my knees, and I said, Father, I've got some bills that I have to pay, and if I'm supposed to be responsible. And uh, he landed me a job that uh, is well over 50 a year. Um, I said, Father, I'm living in this one room, trying to live economically uh, responsible. And he blessed me with a house that was $500 a month, uh, three-bedroom house, two-car garage, 1400 is a market value. Um, car needed a car I was on my knees God blessed me with a good car for about a thousand bucks which is awesome under a hundred thousand um, and uh, you know it's uh, I, I'm here to profess my faith today because I do believe in God and one of my biggest prayers he is now answering and uh, if if when he prepares the path um, I'll probably be uh, headed east or west uh, toward China and but like I say, God's going to do what he's going to do and I say all that because uh, the job that I've been blessed in, I got called by AHR into the office and they're like, Mr. Bartels we need you to fill out a 401k and I'm like, you know what, I'm from the trailer park we don't do that sort of thing Anyways. Praise God <laughs>
0: Daniel you want to take off